0: Welcome to the Shared Tzedek Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Here you'll find a live recording of just about every sermon, Devar to Torah, teaching, or story from our Arab Shabbat and High Holy Day services. We know that you wish you could be with us more often, and we understand life getting in the way is not a bad thing. To live Jewishly is to understand that just as important as it is that Judaism happens in the synagogue, it's even more important to live Jewishly in your home and on your way. So here we are, in your home, on your way, maybe even on your morning run! If you ever have any questions or want to continue the discussion, let one of us know, and make sure you check out our live stream and YouTube channel for more ways that Sharit Sedeq is available to you on demand. Keep an eye on your shofar and email so that when you're able, you can be with us as well. Looking forward to seeing you soon. So one of the um, consequences, but one of the results of having some 40 to 45 B'nai Mitzvah a year is I find that I have some conversations over and over and over again. And with every bar mitzvah, and I know we have a few of you who are here getting your, your service requirements. I mean, we have a few of you here because you love Friday night <laughs> services so much. Um, so I'm going to give away a little bit of, of one of the things that I'll share with you the week before your uh, service. And I always share with our B'nai mitzvah students that there's only one thing in the sanctuary that they can control, which is themselves, And that's the only thing I want them to worry about. And I want them to ignore any other distractions. So if a cell phone goes off, what do they do? Ignore it and keep going. When they know that it's grandma's cell phone, even though grandma doesn't know, what do they do? Ignore it and keep going. When grandma pulls out her phone and rather than turning the ringer off, hits the volume up button and makes it louder, what do they do? Ignore it and keep going small fire in the back of the sanctuary, and then they think they got me, and they say, run, and I say, no. I say, small fire. Mr. Levine will have it out before (laughs) anyone else in the congregation knows. Ignore it and keep going. But just this week, I learned that I may have been incorrect, because OSHA The Occupational Safety and Health Administration of the United States Department of Labor has guidance for small businesses on whether or not we should encourage our employees to put out a small fire or if they should automatically evacuate without trying to put the fire out. This is from the OSHA website. Emergency action plan, fight or flee. A fire is the most common type of emergency for which small businesses must plan. A critical decision when planning is whether or not employees should fight a small fire with a portable fire extinguisher or simply evacuate. Small fires can often be put out quickly by a well-trained employee with a portable fire extinguisher. However, to do this safely, the employee must understand the use and limitations of a portable fire extinguisher and the hazards associated with fighting fires. They have really good writers at OSHA. (laughs) Evacuation plans that designate or require some or all of the employees to fight fires with portable fire extinguishers increase the level of complexity of the plan and the level of training that must be provided to employees. So, should employees evacuate or be prepared to fight a small fire? Choosing to evacuate the workplace rather than providing fire extinguishers for employee use in fighting fires will most effectively minimize the potential for fire-related injuries to employees. However, other factors, such as the availability of public fire department or the vulnerability of egress routes, will enter into this decision. And this is where OSHA gives you four risk assessment questions that you should ask of each fire to decide whether or not it should be put out or whether you should evacuate. So from now on, on the Thursday before every bar or bat mitzvah, I will be giving each student OSHA's risk assessment guide, allowing them in the event of a small fire in the back of the sanctuary to assess those four important risk assessment questions before deciding whether or not the fire is an incipient stage fire, a fire that can be extinguished with a portable fire extinguisher, or a fire that is beyond the incipient stage that should not be fought with a portable fire extinguisher and everyone should evacuate. So, Mark, you're off the hook. We'll let the kids decide. Now, in all seriousness, our lives are full of fight-or-flight moments. Do we meet the risk ahead of us head-on, risking whatever personal harm might be uh, a possible consequence? Or do we run in the other direction, ensuring our safety? An example that I often teach from the book of Genesis is the story of Jacob when he hears that his brother Esau is approaching with 400 men. Now remember, at this point in the story, Jacob hasn't seen his brother in 21 years after he stole Esau's birthright and blessing. And the last time he saw him, Esau threatened to kill Jacob. And immediately before this story, we have Jacob wrestling with an angel. And he wins the battle and his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. But the angel, we read, injures Jacob's hip in the process. Now, Rashbam, a 12th century French commentator, teaches that the angel was sent to wrestle Jacob precisely so that he would be injured and he wouldn't be able to run away from his brother. So from here, you might think that the Torah is teaching us that we must face all of our fears head on. But it's not so simple. Rabbi Zev Reichman of Yeshiva University writes in his book, Flames of Faith, how those who face their fears like Jacob are embodying the midah, the virtue of netzach. Netzach means dominance or victory. And it's a divine quality to which we should aspire. But those who protect themselves, fleeing, choosing a safer option, are embodying the midah, the virtue of hod, which means submission, acceptance that there are things that are out of our control, which is another divine quality to which we should aspire. Hod, he teaches, leads to empathy, an understanding of the adversity that others might be facing. Rabbi Reichman explains, nepsach and hod are represented by our right and left foot respectively. The feet allow an individual to stand. These two behaviors represent two modes of survival, how to remain standing despite challenges. They are the two ways of dealing with adversity, fight and flight. So the answer, it turns out, is rarely a simple one. I've been thinking a lot about fight versus flight as I've been watching the news coming out of Ukraine. I read the story of Neha, a 17-year-old young woman from Haryana in India who moved to Kiev to pursue her bachelor's degree before going on to medical school. She has been renting a room, a paying guest, at the home of a construction engineer, his wife, and their three children. While the Indian government was flying home all of its students that were studying in Ukraine, Neha turned down the offer, not wanting to abandon the family that she has become attached to, wanting to help this mother of three after her husband volunteered to join the front lines of the battle against the Russian invasion. Or Sergei Novesky, a 38-year-old veteran of the Israeli military who emigrated to Israel from Ukraine in 1998. Novesky is one of many Ukrainian Israelis who've already left Israel or who are planning too soon to go back to their home country and join the fight for freedom. And they are among 50,000 Ukrainian citizens living abroad who have returned to Ukraine in order to help defend their homeland. These are just two of many stories of those who are choosing to risk their lives by either staying in Ukraine to help those who cannot escape, the hordes of Ukrainian civilians and foreigners who've joined the military in the fight for freedom. How inspiring it's been to watch their stories and how tragic to know that many of them may not survive which makes us so sympathetic to the more than one million Ukrainians who have fled to other countries and the countless others who have moved west within Ukraine, hoping to avoid the conflict. I've seen stories of children who've only been able to choose one doll with which to travel, leaving the rest of their belongings behind, not knowing whether or not they will ever return to their home. How does one make such a decision? In this week's Torah portion, Piku Dei, the last in the book of Exodus, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, that portable temple the Israelites built in the wilderness, the precursor to the temple in Jerusalem, the place in which God was believed to dwell, is completed. And at the very end of the book of Exodus, we read, When Moses had finished the work, a cloud covered the tent of meeting and the presence of Adonai filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the presence of Adonai filled the Mishkan. When the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on their various journeys. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until such time as it did lift. So here, God is making the decision for the Israelites. When do you stay and when do you leave? When the cloud of God tells you to stay or when it tells you to leave. Wouldn't that be amazing? Not just for Ukrainians today, but for any fight-or-flight situation in which we might find ourselves, Wouldn't it be great if a cloud of God would guide us? A divine OSHA guidance of risk assessment questions? If the cloud says to stay, we stay. If the cloud moves forward, we move forward, knowing that we are protected as we do. But this isn't how life works. We don't have divine clouds or OSHA guidance for each of our moves we have to make decisions for ourselves, difficult ones. But that doesn't mean that we can't still be guided by some form of that divine cloud. And this is where Rabbi David Basu, the rabbi of a Sephardic congregation in New Jersey, offered a teaching that I found quite meaningful. And we're going to go a little earlier in the book of Exodus or maybe ahead to our Passover story as the Israelites have just fled Egyptian slavery only to reach the Sea of Reeds, hearing the Egyptian army pursuing from behind. And Moses said to the people, we read, Have no fear. Stand by and witness the deliverance which Adonai will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you will never see again. Adonai will battle for you. You hold your peace. And then Adonai said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. And then God gives Moses the instructions to raise his staff so the sea will part. But Rabbi Basu proposes that this pronouncement from Moses was speaking to the Israelites four differing responses of fight versus flight. He wrote, to those who wanted to commit suicide by fleeing, For since there was nowhere to go, fleeing meant certain death, either by drowning in the sea or by Pharaoh's army. Moses said the beginning of that announcement, he said, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of Adonai. And to those who wanted to go back to Egypt was the line, the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more. And to those who wanted to fight the Egyptians on their own, Moses said, God will fight for you. You will be silent. And to those who wanted to just complain or even to pray about their plight, God said, why are you crying out to me? Rabbi Basu proposes that the divine cloud is, in fact, given to each of us as a form of guidance, and it is unique to each of us. Whatever it is that our instinctive response may be, the divine answer would be to question it. Whether our instinct is fight or flight, we must question it. We must turn our options over and over like a piece of text, and while we may ultimately continue with that first instinct, we will know that we have done so from a place of sound mind once we've thought through the consequences and made the best choice possible. Rarely are these decisions right or wrong, but rather choosing the best of several bad options. But Rabbi Desu reminds us in any case Simply complaining or even praying about our situation without doing anything to change it is not an option either. As St. Augustine and later Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel remind us, we must pray as if everything depends on God and act as if everything depends on us. So on this Shabbat, as we watch the news, we will do what we can from here. We'll donate to support those who are fighting. We'll donate to support those who are stuck in danger, unable to fight or flee. And we'll support those who have been able to flee. We will pray for Netzach. We'll pray for victory for freedom and defeat of tyranny. We'll pray for strength for those who are risking their lives, so many untrained, knowing that they're unlikely to succeed likelier to perish, but fueled by the passion of knowing that they are defending their country for the generations to come. And we'll also pray for Hode, for submission, to know that so much is out of our control that we may have empathy for those who've left their homes, praying for their safety, well-being, and peace. And we pray for strength for each of us as we face our own fight-or-flight moments, albeit far less severe than those in the middle of war. But may we too find strength when facing our fears, empathy when protecting ourselves from them. And most importantly, may we feel that God is with us, guiding us as we move forward in strength, we pray each day, toward a world in which no one has to make choices like those the Ukrainians are facing today. A world one day, we pray, that is filled with peace, as we say, Amen. Amen.